0: Welcome to the I'm Still Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Have you ever been so hungry that you ate something that you would never have considered if you were well fed? Well, in today's episode, found in 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7, the people who were trapped within the walls of Samaria had to make some tough dietary choices until God miraculously delivered them. I'm calling episode 62, Bird Poop or Fresh Bread. At the time of this story, Israel and Judah had split into two nations. And the book of Second Kings highlights or chronicles a lot of the, the succession of kings of both Israel and Judah as we go along. And if you're not reading and paying really close attention, sometimes you can get the, uh, the names and the, the countries mixed up. But today we're talking about something that happened to the nation of Israel which at the time was headquartered in Samaria. And the king of Israel, as all of the kings of Israel were after the death of Solomon, were not good people. They weren't following the Lord in the covenant that he had made with them. And they had a succession of kings and a succession of problems. So in this episode that we find in 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, in the 24th verse, Going through chapter 7, verse 20, we see a bind that Israel is in because they are trapped behind the walls of Samaria, and the king of Aram has besieged the city. He had shut off any commerce from coming in or out, had his army surrounding the town, just waiting for them to run out of supplies and to either starve or surrender. So that's where we find ourselves in this story. I'm going to read a few uh, passages of Scripture, and then I'll make some comments on them as we go. Second Kings, the 6th chapter, the 24th verse, starting there. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver... And a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Let me comment here. The king didn't set those prices. Availability and demand set those prices. Was there a market for dove dung? Was, were people routinely eating bird poop before this happened? No. No, I'm satisfied that was not part of their weekly menu. But things had gotten so bad, there was so little food, the people were willing to pay five pieces of silver for a cup of bird poop. We'll continue, verse 26. One day, as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, Please help me, my lord the king. He answered, If the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. Remember, this king did not serve and honor God. He had gone after the uh, the foreign gods that, uh, that were false gods and the idols in the place. And so he really did not have a relationship with God and gave him no input into what he did. But when things went south, he made an easy target. Yes, God's doing this to us, and so there's nothing I can do about it. Continue on to verse 28. But then the king asked, What's the matter? She replied, This woman said to me, Come on, let's eat your son today, then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, Kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hidden her son. Wow, what a horrible situation these ladies were in. Could they have ever imagined that they would have that conversation? You know, while our stomachs are full and we are comfortable... We can say that, oh, no, we would never do anything like that. But when things get really bad, we are forced to consider things that would have been unimaginable before and to make decisions that we do not think we would have ever had to make. On to verse 30. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. You know even a king who believed the wrong things didn't want bad things like that to happen to his people, and this sackcloth this uh, burlap that he was wearing under his robe was a symbol that he was suffering with them in this it was a it was a symbol of mourning and contrition, so what is the king's idea? What do we do? This place is in in a in bad shape. What is your plan verse thirty one the king says May God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day, the king found. Okay, yeah, things are bad, so let's kill the preacher. That'll do it. Well, what was Elisha's response to this? In verse 32, Elisha was sitting in his house with the elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, A murderer has sent a man to cut off my head. When he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. We will soon hear his master's step following him. I love that Elisha wasn't worried about any of this. He wasn't intimidated by a messenger from the king. He actually was looking for the king to come to his house to find out what's going on. He disregarded the messenger and waited for the king to come to him. Because Elisha wasn't focused on the army outside the walls or on the lack of food in his cupboards. He was listening to God. Verse 33 While Elisha was still saying this, the messenger arrived. And the king said, All this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Well, Elisha wasn't waiting for the Lord because he talked to the Lord every day. He knew what God was going to do. Elisha was just waiting for the king to be ready to hear from the Lord. And finally, after an army surrounded his city, the people of his city were starving, the price of bird poop was skyrocketing, and mothers were eating their own children, the king was finally ready to hear what God had to say. Here's a pro tip. Don't wait until things get to the point of absolute desperation before you decide to hear what God has to say about your situation. We continue. Elisha replied, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. You know, there are a lot of audacious claims being made by folks today. And you can get away with it if you're vague enough where nobody can pin you down on the claims that you made. But this was pretty specific. If you're talking face-to-face with the king and you're going to be this specific, you'd better know what you're talking about. And he knows that today a cup of bird poop sells for five times what a gallon and a half of good flour or four gallons of grain will sell for tomorrow. At this point, I imagine the king was ready to hear anything that could give hope, even something this audacious. But the king also knew that Elisha had been part of many of God's miracles in the past, so he was ready to go with it. He didn't have a better plan. But how many times have you been in a situation, and finally you can sense that hope is rising, and maybe this trial is coming to an end, but someone near you shoots you down? It seems that someone is always ready to dash whatever hope you have. And the king was standing next to that person. Let's continue the scripture. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, You will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. The king's assistant did not believe that the Lord had any abilities greater than humans. He was thinking like an administrator. If the siege was lifted, if the offending army had just packed up and moved out and taken their stuff with them, they would be off of this threat of being killed by the enemy, but the, the threat of, of starvation would still be there. They would have to plant crops and then wait for them to mature and then harvest those crops and then process them into flour and grain to have enough supply to make the price come back to normal levels. That could take months or years. But God sees both our impossibilities and His opportunities. Elisha hadn't just said something crazy. It wasn't wishful thinking. He had heard from God. here's where it gets good. This is my favorite part. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway." They saw their situation clearly. Death was certainly a certainty if they didn't do anything. If they went to the enemy's camp, they still probably would die, but they might live. It was the only option they had that had a you-might-live attached to it. That was their one shot. Let's continue. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran off into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Their long shot had paid off. Not only were they not killed, they had their choice of all kinds of good food and drink and lots of good stuff that the enemy had left behind, and it was there, right there for the taking, just outside the walls of the city." Continue reading, Finally they said to each other, This is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. After they got their bearings, they remembered that the people were still paying outrageous prices for bird poop while they were eating good food for free, and they knew it wasn't right to keep it to themselves. They probably had not heard Elisha's prophecy, but they knew that something miraculous had occurred. Reading verse 10. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered, and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. The king got out of bed in the middle of the night and told his officers, I know what has happened. The Arameans know we are starving, so they have left their camp and hidden in the fields. They are expecting us to leave the city, and then they will take us alive and capture the city. You've probably heard the saying, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's what the king is thinking. And he did what good leaders do. He checked out the story to see if it was true before he started reporting on it. Because it could have been a trap. I don't see his action as a lack of faith. When God truly performs a miracle, it will stand up under scrutiny. Verse 13, Then one of the officers replied, We had better send out scouts to check into this. Let them take five of the remaining horses If something happens to them, it'll be no worse than if they stay here and die with the rest of us. Recognize that reasoning? It's just like the men with leprosy. They already had death in their future. But this action might have life in it. They were tired of bird poop. They were ready for some good food, something tasty and nutritious. This also sounds a lot like a salvation testimony, A person realizes that their life had turned out to be just a big bowl of bird poop that cost them their hope and joy. And then someone tells them about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit prompts something inside of them to know that this offer is not a trick, but an offer to receive the bread of life. So they trade death for life. No more overpriced bird poop. And hope and joy is restored. Verse 14 So two chariots with horses were prepared, and the king sent scouts to see what had happened to the Aramean army. They went all the way to the Jordan River, following a trail of clothing and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their mad rush to escape. The scouts returned and told the king about it. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. And so it was true that six quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver. And twelve quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. So, just as the guys with leprosy said, the enemy was nowhere to be seen, and they left all of their stuff behind. God didn't have to open the windows of heaven. He only needed to strike fear in the minds of the Arameans. Everything that Samaria needed and more was just outside the city, free for the taking. Just come and get it. And sure enough, there was so much that the price of fine flour and barley grain were once again at their everyday low prices. Bird poop quickly fell off the menu, I imagine. Now, this story ends with a twist. Don't you love a story that ends well? If you remember, the king's assistant expressed doubt about Elisha's prophecy. And Elisha told him that he would see the miracle, but he wouldn't get to participate in it. Verse 17. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. The man of God had said to the king, By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver, and twelve quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. And the king's officer had replied, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, You will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was, for the people trampled him to death at the gate. When the people learned that what they needed so badly was available in abundance and free for the taking, they weren't interested in waiting in line to get it. The king tried to control how the people got to benefit from the miracle by putting his assistant at the gate to make sure it was orderly. But what happened was that the assistant was in a place where he could see the reality of the miracle, but was trampled by those who were determined to experience the miracle. So what are the takeaways for this story? First, I would say, when tough times come, don't blame God. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, before they entered into the, the promised land, God promises blessings if Israel will stay faithful, and he promises curses if they follow other gods. And they had been unfaithful. They followed other gods, and they were receiving exactly what God had promised. But although God allowed them to be punished... He never allowed them to be destroyed. Because no matter what happens to us, God's purposes are not to destroy us, but to draw us to Him. Secondly, deliverance can come from unlikely sources. If you're looking for an answer from God, keep your eyes and ears open. These lepers weren't allowed inside the city because they were unclean. But God chooses the simple things to confound the wise. Remember that when Jesus was born the angels announced his birth to simple shepherds who were outside the city. Next, the leper's attitude is seen often in the Bible. You remember the story of the three Hebrew children while they were in Babylonian captivity. The king had built a huge statue of himself and required everyone to bow down. Well, these young men, while they were respected for their integrity and their intelligence, they would not bow to another God besides their own. They were staying faithful in that covenant relationship. Well, the king threatened them with throwing them into a fiery furnace, and I love the answer. They said, our God is capable to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, if death is to be the result, I'm still not going to bow to another God. And then the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He said, for me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. When we know the promise that we have of eternal life, yes, we want to live, we enjoy this life, we enjoy the relationships we have, and we have a responsibility while we're here to represent Christ well in this world. But for us, dying is not a defeat. Dying means that we begin our eternity With Jesus. Next, I would say it's wrong to experience the blessing of salvation and keep it to yourself. You know, there is no limit, there's no quotas to salvations. It is available to all who will receive it. So let people know. Tell them your story, and those who are hungry for salvation and reconciliation will run to Jesus. Next, don't try to restrict who may experience God's blessing. God's blessing is for all who will receive it. And God has not appointed you to regulate who gets blessed by God. So, a discipline that many Bible readers have is when they're reading an Old Testament story. And we know that the Old Testament always points everything to Jesus. I always ask, where is Jesus in this story? Well, here's what I believe where Jesus is is found in this story. The people inside the city of Samaria were dying for lack of food. Food represented life, and when the discovery was made, there was plenty for all. And Jesus said that he is the bread of life, and there is plenty of him for all who will receive it. So if you feel like you've been barely getting by and that all of your plans have turned into overpriced bird poop, know that your salvation is right next to you let me encourage you, step out and receive it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the I'm Still Learning podcast. If you find this podcast interesting, won't you please share it with a friend? Also, let me know what you think. Find me on Facebook or Instagram under my name, Randy Whitlow. Or send an email to rbwhitlow at me.com. Until next week, I'm Randy Whitlow, and I'm Still Learning.